Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Those Magic Sparks podcast, a show about anything and everything related to Walt Disney World. Today's show will discuss the fundamentals of Walt Disney World trip planning, so get ready to earn your ears here on Those Magic Sparks. Welcome back to those Magic Sparks podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Peg Zisman. I'm riding solo today as my usual co-host, Rachel, is at a work commitment and unable to join us. But alas, the show must go on. So today's episode is at the request of several co-workers of mine who are looking to plan their family's first trip to Walt Disney World. This will truly be an introductory episode to Walt Disney World. It's very 101 level information, so it may not be the best fit for our more experienced listeners and Disney World travelers, but it could be really helpful for someone who's looking to book a trip for the first time. I remember that the first time I tried planning my own Disney trip, I'm a person who does a lot of research, and so I immediately took to the internet to try and look up some advice on what I could do, what would be helpful, what works best, what what has the best reviews. And I was really overwhelmed by just the sheer amount of information that is already out there. So my intention with this episode is to just give an overview to people who are looking to get their feet wet and start considering their own future Disney vacation so that way they don't go into it completely confused and overwhelmed about what they're reading or what they're trying to understand. I have been visiting Walt Disney World for nearly 25 years and in all of that time I have learned one unwavering truth. The more research-based planning you put into your Disney vacation the better experience you will have. I've experienced the theme parks and resorts as a child, adolescent, young professional, and newlywed. And in my adulthood, I have studied exactly what makes WDW tick. From the psychology and its design and execution to the nitty gritty of numbers, peak hours, and how to get the most bang for your buck. If you're willing to put in a little extra time and energy into what I like to call doing your homework, (laughs) then I can promise you a better experience than had you just tried showing up without taking some notes first. I have condensed years of enthusiastic research and personal anecdotes down into what I hope can be a comprehensive 101 type episode. So let's get started with that. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is set a budget. Overestimate how much you think you'll need to save for your vacation because odds are you're going to find a way to spend it. (laughs) And if you don't spend it, well, good for you. You won't be disappointed about going under your budget. Things at Disney World are going to cost you, depending on where you live, probably about 30% more than you're generally used to spending, sometimes 50% more for things. And meals can really come out to be 
quite a bit more. I'd say about twice as much as what you generally spend for typical meals. Here are some things that you will need to consider in general for your budget. You're going to want travel budget, whether you're flying, driving, or renting a car. Don't forget to look into what the airlines, if you are flying, what their luggage fees are, if they're charging you to pick a seat. Are you going to just take a random seat and see how that goes? It You, you really want to know yourself in that regard. You're going to want to budget for hotel accommodations as well as theme park tickets. Don't forget to factor in food and drinks because, as I said, they are not cheap. And you're probably going to want to have some money set aside for souvenirs. There's also a couple logistics I'm just going to suggest you consider as well before um, you set your budget. If you have a pet, you're going to want to take care of your pet and figure out what boarding might cost or what getting a sitter might be. And also, consider your transportation to and from your airport if you are flying. Not shockingly, Disney prices are higher than everyday prices, but how much you spend on your trip will largely depend on how many days you plan to spend in the theme parks and what kind of hotel you choose to stay at. Hotels can cost anywhere between $100 to $1,200 a night, so you really can choose your own adventure. It really will all depend upon your budget. Next, you're going to want to choose your travel dates. Some people have more flexibility with travel than others. As an educator, I will always be forced to travel when students are out of school. But if you have more flexibility than that, I would suggest avoiding times of year where students are out of school. When students are out of school in the U.S., Disney World is just generally more crowded. And in particular, Disney World is the most crowded during Thanksgiving break, winter break, and the week of New Year's. Also, during spring break, right around the Easter time, typically the week before and the week after. In my opinion, avoid Disney World during those times. It can sometimes be almost too crowded to enjoy. Summer months have become not as crowded as they once were because Disney has started attracting guests to what used to be far less crowded times of the years using their festivals, um, their themed entertainment, and people just kind of gaining knowledge of when Disney is traditionally less crowded. The other thing is the summer can be super hot, so people are avoiding it. And that can be to your advantage if you're an educator and you're stuck going during the summer. It's not an ideal time of year to go, but it's also not as crowded as it once was. It's becoming a little bit more of a relaxed time of year, at least by comparison. If you have no children, or if you have younger kids that you can more easily um, take out of school for a few days, I would suggest traveling during non-peak travel seasons. Generally speaking, September is one of the better times to visit WDW. Just beware of hurricane season. We had one of our trips canceled for my brother's wedding time, actually, because of Hurricane Matthew, unfortunately. Early November, early December, later January, and early February have also generally been good times to visit, although an asterisk I will put here is that in recent years, 
what used to be very slow seasons at Disney have now turned into a little bit more crowded. So basically there is no super slow season at Disney anymore, but there are times of year that are less crowded. So those are the times you're gonna wanna look at. Early October and most of May can also be okay times to go. Try not to visit on holiday weekends as those will show a spike in attendance with relative consistency. Finally, keep in mind that both Disney World and the airline companies offer cheaper tickets and rates during less popular travel times. So you're gonna save a good chunk of money by traveling when kids are in school, if possible. After you set a budget and choose your travel dates, you're gonna want to introduce yourself to your new best friend, the My Disney Experience app. It can also be accessed through the Disney World website. Basically, the My Disney Experience app and website is a place where you will create an ID and through it, you'll be able to do most of your Disney trip planning. It is where you can book your hotel reservations if you're going to stay on Disney property. It is where you are going to make your food dining reservations. It's where you're going to book your fast passes for attractions. It is where you are going to get to do so much. And it even has a ton of perks in it when you are in the park. The app includes maps, almost like Google Maps, where you can say, it'll show you exactly where you are in the park. You can say where it is you wanna go and it will give you step-by-step walking directions on how to get there. It can also do things like allow you to place your order at certain quick service dining restaurants within the parks. So that way you can place your order on the app and then just go pick it up when they tell you it's ready. You can also do things on the app like look up park hours, the show times for different parades or performances. You can buy park tickets. You can even now purchase your annual pass through the app. If you end up taking any pictures in the park using one of the Disney photographers, or if you are on any of the rides or attractions that take photos on the ride, you would also be able to access those photos through the My Disney Experience app. They keep them all in one place. And if you end up purchasing the Memory Maker package, which is essentially a photo package of unlimited downloads for a certain set price through Disney, this would be the place where not only could you access all those photos that were taken of you on the trip, you could also edit all of your photos here and do things like add borders to them, add stickers to them. If you have kids who like playing around with photo editing apps on your phones, they would really enjoy that. So all in all, one of the first pieces of advice I ever give to someone who's going to be taking a trip to Disney is to download this app, play around with it, figure out what options it has available to you because it makes your trip planning 10 times easier. One of my favorite features of the My Disney Experience app is that while you're in the park and even when you're sitting at home right now or driving in the car right now, you could look up any attraction within the park and see what the current wait time is for it. Speaking of which, keep in mind that Disney always overinflates their expected wait time because 
It's easier for you to think that you're going to stand in line for an hour and only wait 45 minutes than to think that you're going to be in line for half an hour and have to wait 45 minutes. So to protect themselves from complaints and increase guest happiness, they overinflate their expected wait time. So always keep that in mind. The higher the overall wait expected wait time, the greater the difference will probably be. So if you see a two hour wait time, it might actually be only 90 minutes. Whereas if you see a 25 minute expected wait time, it'll probably be only 20. Just some food for thought. But the app offers a little glimpse of what you could expect. And it's really handy in that way. Another couple of things that the app offers that I have used and enjoyed in the past is figuring out where different characters are within the park and what times they'll be available for meet and greets, as well as something as minute as where are the different penny press machines within the park, if you want that fun, silly, cheap souvenir. The app has a search section where you can type in something that you're looking for within the parks, and it will tell you anything you need to know about that, where you can find it. This is really your one-stop shopping for all things related to the theme park when you are there. Moving on to hotel accommodation considerations. So to stay on Disney property or not on property, that is the question. I have essentially a pro-con list of each of those options. So let's jump into that. Staying in a Disney hotel. Here is an upside. You get free transportation from Orlando International Airport to and from your Disney hotel using the Disney Magical Express. You also get free transportation from your Disney hotel to all of the Disney theme parks and Disney Springs, which is their downtown shopping district. Disney hotels are always clean, themed, and staffed with super friendly humans. You get sent free magic bands, which we'll talk more about in a bit. And you can book fast passes to your rides 60 days in advance of your trip, while off-property guests can only book 30 days in advance. So, what are the perks of staying off-property at a non-Disney hotel? They still might have a shuttle to and from the airport. It kind of depends. Most of them do, though. Many have a shuttle to and from the Disney parks also depends and it may only run once or twice a day unlike Disney buses that run all day so that's worth keeping in mind. They are almost always (laughs) going to be cheaper for their value than most Disney resorts so you'll get more room space for cheaper prices generally speaking. Uh, The downside to them, of course, is that they are not Disney-themed, so some people feel like it kind of takes them out of the magic. And you'll get uh, no free magic bands. If you wanted magic bands, you would want to go buy them online. Otherwise, you could just use your park ticket cards that would probably be sent to you if you ordered your tickets through Disney. If you do choose to stay at a Disney hotel, consider your budget and what it is you plan to do during your stay at Disney. If you plan to spend a lot of time at your hotel and want more amenities, then you could probably choose between a moderate or deluxe resort, depending on your budget. If you are looking for a clean place to sleep, shower, 
and use the bathroom at night while you spend much of your time in the theme parks during the day, then I would recommend saving money and going to one of the value resort hotels. So for context here, Disney has three different kinds of hotels and they are labeled into three different categories based on their room size as well as their cost. So the biggest rooms with the most theming are at deluxe resorts. They come with the biggest price tag. The lowest price hotel rooms, which also have the fewest amenities and the smallest rooms, are at value resorts. And then your middle range resorts, the moderate resorts, are the ones that have mid-sized rooms, mid-quality amenities. Although I think there's something to be said about the quality of um, amenities at all of the resorts are really quite nice. You can't get a bad room, in my opinion, at Disney. You just want to be thoughtful about what works best for your family. Moving on to park tickets. Disney park tickets are pricey and there really aren't a ton of life hacks on how to get them for cheaper, but there are a few options you can consider. If you're a part of the military or a military veteran, you can look into some special offers Disney has um, for military personnel. You'll just want to go to the Disney website and there's some information there on what you can do. You can also, if you are a civilian or have never been a part of the military, you could try buying the tickets through a reputable third-party source. The go-to example I recommend is called Undercover Tourist. I have done this before and purchased tickets through them so I can vouch for them. And they help you save, I would say, a handful of dollars per day per ticket. Another thing to consider is buying in bulk. Essentially, the more days you buy for each ticket, the cheaper you are paying per day for admission. So if you buy a five-day park hopper, for example, it'll cost you around $100 per day. Whereas if you buy a one-day park hopper, it'll cost you closer to $180 per day. So the more days that you buy, the cheaper your per day price will be. But keep this important detail in mind. Once you start using your Disney ticket, you must complete all the remaining days on that ticket within a 14 day span. After that, your partially used ticket will completely expire. So this differs from what Disney had a couple decades ago where you could buy a park hopper that had a ton of days on it and it had a, a, a lifespan that never ended. It lasted forever. It was kind of a good idea to stock up on those back in the day because you knew that you could pay a, a smaller amount so that regardless of ticket prices, you would still have this ticket. You could use it anytime in the future. It was kind of like a forever stamp. <laughs> My mom and I actually ended up using those on a trip that we took together in 2014. We used tickets that my family had purchased back in 2003, and they were still valid. But that option doesn't exist anymore, at least not right now. <laughs> so if you are going to go to Disney and you have to buy a park ticket, you can only use however many days you have on that ticket within a 14-day window, a two-week window. So make sure you plan accordingly. And finally, if you would like to delve deeper into some of the things you can try for saving on tickets, 
I would suggest checking out mousesavers.com. They have a little bit more detail for anyone who wants to get into their own individual circumstances. They've done the math for you on some things, so you can kind of look up through them what would be the best fit for you. But in general, I would suggest either buying through Undercover Tourist or buying through a package with Disney if you are able to get a discount. But more on that later. One other piece of Disney ticket advice I wanted to share with you is whether you buy your ticket through something like Undercover Tourist or through the Disney World website itself, be sure to take a photo of your ticket's backside once you receive it. In case you lose your ticket, you will want the information and the identification numbers listed on the back in order to prove your purchase. The exception to this is if you have your ticket already linked to your My Disney Experience account. If you have your ticket attached to your My Disney Experience account, Disney will be able to, as long as you can prove your identity, create an additional card for you that you could use around the parks in order to access your fast passes as well as admission. Whatever you do, do not buy tickets through sites like Craigslist or eBay. They are either scams or they will not work for you upon your arrival at the park gates. Please trust me on that. Sometimes people will have authentic tickets that they did not finish all of their days on in the park, and so they'll try to sell it on Craigslist, and by the time you end up going, they have expired. But the other thing is, even if they haven't, Disney tickets are, generally speaking, non-transferable, and so you will not be able to take and use those days yourself. The next thing that you're going to want to be familiar with are magic bands. Magic Bands go hand in hand with the My Disney Experience app, and they're one of the more unique parts of a Disney World vacation, in my opinion. If you plan to stay at a Disney World hotel, you and each person on your room reservation will receive a free Magic Band from Disney. Magic Bands are basically shaped like little watches that you can wear on your wrist, but they don't tell time. And you can customize your Magic Bands on the My Disney Experience website. They'll ship to your home, again, free of charge, about two weeks before your trip. Even if you're not staying at a Disney Resort hotel, you can purchase Magic Bands on the Shop Disney website or on the Shop Disney Parks app. And when you get a Magic Band sent to you, you can connect it to your My Disney experience so then when you go into the park, you'll be able to use it just like anyone else who is staying on property. You can also order additional Magic Bands or custom Magic Bands if you'd like to, even if you are going to get a free one from Disney for staying at a Disney hotel. I myself really like to collect some of the themed Magic Bands. I have a Peter Pan one, I have a Flight of Passage, I even have one that looks like an ugly Mickey holiday sweater. <laughs> so they can be a lot of fun. But fair warning, they don't come with a cheap price tag if they're one of the themed ones. Now how Magic Bands work is that inside of them is a chip that can be read all over the Disney parks and resorts. So for this reason, it can be used to do a wide variety of things. First. It can be used as your room key. You can also use it as your park ticket and simply scan it in order to enter the parks. Third, 
It stores all of your FastPass and dining reservation information on it, so you can scan it upon your arrival to an attraction or a restaurant in order to get admission. Fourth, you can scan it after you ride an attraction with a photo on the ride, or after a Disney photographer takes your photo anywhere, and all of the photos will be automatically linked to your My Disney Experience app, meaning that you can access them from your phone right away. And you can even add credit card information to your Magic Band so that you won't need to stress over bringing a card to the theme park if you'd prefer not to. All you have to do is touch your Magic Band to Disney's credit card readers, type in the custom PIN that you program for your Magic Band so that no one can charge things for you if they steal your Magic Band, and your credit card will be billed directly. In other words, your Magic Band consolidates all of those little odds and ends like park tickets, room keys, credit cards, fast pass tickets, etc. into one little device that you wear on your wrist. And if you don't like wearing it on your wrist, they also now offer little keychains that you can pull out the middle disc where the chip is and insert it into the keychain so that you can wear that around or carry that with you. If you're into the idea of customizing your device, Rest assured that Disney sells plenty of merchandise to accessorize magic bands, and you can even design your own custom bands at various locations throughout the Walt Disney World theme parks, such as in Tomorrowland right outside of the exit to Space Mountain. That leads us into discussion about FastPass. For anyone that may not know, when you have a FastPass to an attraction, you have a separate queue that you will line up in in order to get on the attraction. And that queue will load onto an attraction faster than the regular non-FastPass standby line, meaning that you will be able to get on a ride that has a 60-minute wait in under 15 minutes as opposed to having to wait the full hour. So as you can understand, people really want fast passes to attractions because it cuts down on that wait time, which is really almost everyone's least favorite part of going to theme parks. Once upon a time, FastPass was a system in which you would literally send your fastest runner to a machine in the middle of the theme parks at the attraction that you would later want to go to. And you would, that person who was sent on the run would get tickets for each person in their party to come back at a later time to ride an attraction. You had to do it day of, you had to do it in the moment, and it really was almost like a competition with how people were trying to get these fast passes. Disney changed all of that using their My Disney Experience app, where now you can book all of your fast passes 60 days in advance if you're staying on property and 30 days in advance if you're staying off property. This means you don't have to worry about running and you don't have to worry about getting to the park early in the morning so that way you don't miss your chance to get fast passes for those really coveted rides. It's a perfect system for someone like Rachel and I who actually prefer to sleep in and go to the parks midday and stay until close. So how it works is when your window opens, let's say you're staying on Disney property and you have 60 days to go until the first arrival day of your trip. You can go online early in the morning and book your fast passes right then and there. You want to be strategic about picking fast passes that are for attractions that not only do you want to go on, but also typically have longer wait times. So that way you're getting the best value for your fast pass. You also have the advantage when you're staying on property of booking 
fast passes for every day of your trip on the first day of that 60 day window. So if you're staying for a week, once you are 60 days away from the arrival date of your trip, you can book fast passes for the first day of your trip, second, third, fourth, all the way to the last day. So it really gives you an edge on getting those more coveted fast passes for the harder to get to rides, such as Flight of Passage, which really became quite popular at Animal Kingdom. If you are staying off property, you can still book your fast passes in advance, but it's going to be 30 days and you're going to have to book your fast passes for each day separately, which means if you're staying for a week, you would want to get your fast passes for the first day of your trip, 30 days out, and then the second day of your trip, the next morning, you'll have to wake up and do that again, and the next day, you'll do it again. So it's a little bit more complicated, which of course is why Disney does it, because they really want to motivate people to stay on property. When you book those fast passes, they will be automatically connected to your My Disney Experience account, which is of course then connected to your magic bands. Each guest is allowed to get three fast passes per day that you can book in advance. When you get a fast pass, you will book for a time slot window, meaning that you will have one hour to show up during in order to get into that designated fast pass line. You will only be allowed to enter the fast pass queue during that one hour window with some unofficial exceptions. If you show up five minutes before your arrival time, your magic band or your card will allow you to walk through and start the queue five minutes early. You'll also be able to get into the queue 15 minutes late in case something holds you up. What I have found to be true is that when I've really missed even that 15 minute grace period, I've never had a cast member turn us away when we showed up with a previously booked fast pass. They don't have to honor it, they don't have to let you through and go into the fast pass queue, but many of them will if you are very friendly and kind. Try not to abuse that system because of course that's probably really bad karma, but what I'm saying is if there's something that comes up and it looks like you're not going to make even the 15 minute grace period for whatever attraction you have a fast pass to, don't panic. Just go up to the cast member who's working that particular attraction explain to them what happened, and they will likely let you through. In terms of booking fast passes, as I said, you can book three fast passes in advance. They must all be to the same park. So you can't get two in advance to Magic Kingdom and one to Epcot. They would all have to be from Magic Kingdom or they'd all have to be from Epcot. There is, however, a little bit of a nuance. When you are at the park and you have finished using all three of your fast passes, log back on to your My Disney Experience app and you can get a fourth fast pass. But again, that's only after you finish your first three in the park. When you book the fourth fast pass, it can be for a different park. So if that's where you get to the point where you'd like to go and park hop from Magic Kingdom over to Epcot, for example, you can look at what rides still have fast pass availability at Epcot and book your fourth fast pass for over there. This is also a good strategy to use if you finish your fast passes earlier in the afternoon because there will always be more available that you can choose from. So let's say 
I've gone and finished my fast passes for Peter Pan's Flight, Space Mountain, and Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Rachel and I are really big fans of Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, so we can go on the Fast Pass selection part of the My Disney Experience app and look to see if there's any more Fast Passes available for that day, and there usually are. So kind of play around with it after you finish that third Fast Pass at the park, because you might be able to snag a fourth or even a fifth or a sixth, because after you finish each subsequent Fast Pass, you can go back and book another one until all the Fast Passes have been given out for that day. Although, pro tip, even if it looks like all the Fast Passes are gone for the day for a particular attraction, keep checking back because people make changes in real time that open up Fast Passes for you to snag if you happen to catch it at the right time. Now, similar to booking Fast Passes, 30 or even 60 days in advance of your trip to Disney World, you're going to want to think about your dining reservations in advance too. Plenty of restaurants on Disney property are quick service, meaning they're not sit down restaurants where someone's going to come serve you your food. More like a Panera Bread where you are going to order at a counter and then they might bring you your food later or you'll have to stand there and gather the food yourself and then choose a table to sit down at and eat. Plenty of food places are like that. You don't need any reservations for those in advance. You can just walk up as you're ready and pick out food. That's actually also going to be your most cost-effective option. But if you want a more traditional sit-down dining experience, Disney has a lot to offer. And contrary to what you might assume, most of it is not at all theme park style food. Some of the best food I've ever had in my life has been at different Disney theme park restaurants. To eat at most of these sit-down establishments, however, you're going to want to book a reservation prior to your trip. And it's not 30 days out, it's not 60 days out, it's actually six months in advance that you need to place your dining reservations. Exactly 180 days before your trip, you want to sit down and place those reservations. If you are, again, staying on Disney property, you can book for the length of your stay. So as soon as that 180-day window opens for your arrival date, you can book your advanced dining reservations for each day of your trip on that first open window day. If, however, you are not staying on Disney property or you have not yet booked your hotel reservation for on property, then you're going to have to book each day of dining reservations exactly 180 days in advance, which means you're going to have to log on each separate day to make the reservation for the corresponding day six months in the future. Many people make the mistake of not making their advanced dining reservations that far in advance because not many people plan a vacation (laughs) that far out, especially for domestic travel. But in this case, you're really going to want to because the best Disney restaurants are well known and they will book up really (laughs) that far in advance. So do your homework. Figure out which restaurants are the best fit for you and your family and your different dietary needs and palates and book those reservations as soon as you can. If for some reason you are unable to get a reservation to the restaurant that you wanted or not for the particular time slot that you were really hoping for, don't give up on your first try. Keep going back. Check it 
every week or so and see if the time slot or the reservation that you're looking for opens up. I have always seen movement within reservations as other people change their plans. And if you're lucky enough and get the timing right, you might be able to snag a really good reservation or a much better time slot than whenever you got on your first try. I've been able to do this with consistency for each vacation I've taken over the last several years. It just takes a little bit of perseverance. But if you really want to give yourself a good chance of avoiding the stress of having to go back and continue checking, try to get your reservation six months in advance, and that way you'll have your first choices. When I did that most recently for our trip, I knew exactly what restaurants I wanted to eat at. I was there when my window opened on that first day. I got every single restaurant I wanted for every single top choice time slot that I was hoping for. No issues. The final topic I wanted to touch on briefly in this episode was that of the Memory Maker or Disney Photo Pass. If you are a person who really wants to keep the memories from your Disney vacation, you want to be in all of your photos that you take of or with your family, you don't want to have the stress of a stranger holding your cell phone or your very expensive camera, look into Memory Maker or Disney Photo Pass. You can in advance book memory maker which is you give a one-time fee and disney will take every single photo that is taken of you on every attraction every picture you get taken by one of the in-park photographers everything that you can hope for in terms of pictures and it will consolidate all of it into one place again on your my disney experience app and you can actually through the app Go into each of your photos that you get and edit them to add stickers or borders or years or dates, whatever you want. It's really useful. You pay that one-time fee and you can get as many downloads and as many edits of your pictures as you'd like at no additional charge after that first one-time price. As for PhotoPass, let's say you don't want to spend $160 on a photo package. You can pick individual photos. Let's say you want to get that one perfect shot of your whole family in front of Cinderella's castle. There are photographers lined up down the entire length of Main Street. You can choose how far away or how close you want to be, ask them to snap a photo of you, and then show them your magic band or your park card, and they will scan it and link your pictures to it. You can then access those pictures on the My Disney Experience app and order just the one digital copy and save yourself obviously quite a bit of money. Those usually run for somewhere around $15 per photo. You can also do that with any pictures you may have gotten taken of you on attractions. You know when those flash bulbs go off and you get that one candid shot of you. Maybe there's one that turned out really great of your family, one that you just really need to hold on to. You can make the purchase of just one photo in those instances for a much smaller fee than having to get the whole package. So it's something worth looking into if you're a sentimental person and want some more professional looking pictures that maybe you'd be able to take on your phone and be able to keep from your vacation. And that's it. That's just about everything I have for you in terms of Walt Disney World Trip Planning 101. If you know this fundamental bit of information, any subsequent research you do from here should be pretty understandable. You can tailor your trip to, as I said, you or your family's particular interests or requirements, needs, 
whatever it is that you'd like. But if you have this information in mind, everything else should make a lot more sense. I know many of our listeners are true Disney World veterans, and none of this should have really come as news to any of you. But for our listeners who might be new to Disney World trip planning, or are looking to have their first family trip, or maybe haven't been in quite a while and they notice that a lot of things have really changed, I hope that this episode was really helpful for you. As always, I want to thank all of our listeners for your enthusiasm, topic suggestions, and support. We love hearing from you and we want to keep hearing from you. If you enjoyed today's show, please remember to subscribe on iTunes as well as rate and review us. You can also bookmark us on Anchor at anchor.fm slash TMS podcast. This has been Peg Zisman for those Magic Sparks podcast. Don't forget, kindness is cool, so make good choices and have a magical day, everyone.